NZ Aerosports, Icarus Canopies, now Gyro. That's right, we've rebranded, and Gyro is our next generation. It honours our founder, as that's the name we knew him by, but Gyro also marks the start of a new chapter. And not to be biased, but it's going to be fucking epic. Long story short, we're more us than ever. So if you're new to the sport, or even a Sky God Ninja Turtle, welcome. I think our valiant leader Lucy, Gyro's daughter, says it best. And we still got that fuck your attitude. <laughs> Rebrand! Woo! Rebrand woo indeed, Lucy. Anyway, head over to gyro.com for more info and get amongst your legends. I was 19, broke, unemployed, and sold my girlfriend's canopy for drug money. So, I thought I'd better sew her a new one. What a sentence, and what a story. This describes the humble yet outrageous beginnings of NZ Aerosports, the home of Icarus Canopies, in the words of our founder himself. From getting a paratrooper toy from his mom, watching parachutes at the DZ as a six-year-old, jumping off the wharf with a parachute made from bedsheets, doing his first jump at 16, sewing his first canopy on a borrowed machine at 19, and starting to sell parachutes out of a garage in 1986, Paul Gyro Martin had an undying love for the sky. Our company started with one man with the wildest of spirits in a true blue sky dream, a renegade. In the time that Gyro created and ran the Icarus Canopies brand until he passed away in 2017, he pushed everything he had to its limits. We miss him and we always will. Gyro is the next generation of NZ Aerosports. It honors our founder, of course, because it was the name we all knew him by, but Gyro the rebrand also marks the start of a new chapter, our next jump. Gyro is the space between sound and silence, art and science, chaos and calm. Gyro is a state of epic tranquility that transcends understanding. That moment, in the door, in free fall, mid-swoop, where nothing but the present exists. A perfect balance of euphoria and thrill. Gyro captures our passion for flying and our commitment to designing break-the-fucking-rules canopies that deliver pilots pure, wild flight. Hey gang, so I got a new book out. It's called The Upside of Fear, and it's exactly what you think it's about. It's about the good side of, well getting scared. In it, we talk not only about the science and biology behind fear, but the psychology as well. And it's not just coming from me, it's coming from some of the best in the sport. Omar Alhijalan, Jeff Provenzano, Maxine Tate, and so many more have contributed their sometimes terrifying stories to the book to help you overcome your fear. So head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com. You're going to find the link to the book there as well as the other books. It's available in ebook, paperback, hardback, and audiobook right now. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast and talking back in the UK again. I like the, where this has been going. Tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? Um, so I am Vanna Parker um, and I am a lowly formation skydiver. A lowly formation skydiver. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to buy that. No. <laughs> You've been pretty busy well, in the I'm sport. Maybe I'm an enthusiastic formation skydiver, shall I say that? And I still love it so much. I, I like that. That's actually a really good way to put it. Enthusiastic yeah. is definitely. Well, I mean, you're a lot more than just an enthusiastic jumper. I mean, we're talking big time competition and, and going strong for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, I have been, when I think back to the numbers and stuff, you know, oh, my word. But um, I my, did my first four-way competition in 98 and my first world championships in 2001 and have been basically competing at almost every one that I could since then. Um, and last year, 2022, uh, my team finally won the world, the female world championships, which That's... is the ultimate goal from the beginning. And I made it. So. It's crazy when you sit and you look back and you start to, because I don't know about you, but I don't really put numbers to my career in skydiving all that much, more than anything, because when I do, it's terrifying how many have gone by. Yes. 
yeah, right? Exactly. And that's the thing, you know, and I've been listening to a couple of your podcasts and, you know, people that have managed to get to become world champions kind of in their 20s. And I think it took me a long time, you know. I mean, I, I turned 50 this year, which, I, which I'm kind of trying to embrace that. But uh, basically, you know, it took me a long time to become a world champion. Yeah, it's definitely a different journey for everybody. And I mean, you and I come from the same generation and that we didn't have a lot of the training tools that they have nowadays to reach those goals so early. We did it one jump at a time. Yeah. I mean, I started, I really started competing in South Africa because I was, you know, started jumping in the UK and then almost immediately I moved to, to South Africa. And then you were jumping out of, you know, 206s, Cessna 206s, 182s, whatever, you know, you got went up to nationals the first time and got to jump out of a Pilates porter. It was just so exciting. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. You know, and now you kind of like almost don't get up for it. And, you know, you don't want to get in the plane unless it's a super van or an Otter or something, you know. Sure, sure. So let's jump you back all the way to how it got started. How did you decide that, uh, especially because you started in the 90s when skydiving was not a particularly popular or mainstream sport? What How did it go, kick off for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, um, always up for challenge, you know, and I think I've heard is a lot of people say, you thought you'd do one jump, uh, you know, one skydive on your kind of bucket list. But I was at university during specials week, walking around all the, um, you know, the stands for the different sports. And in fact, I was looking for the kayaking stand because I was quite into kayaking at the time. I thought that'd be quite cool. And next to it was the the university parachute club. And I just went, oh man, I've got to go and try that. You know, let's just go and do one jump. And, you know, then I've done it. Tick, great, you know. Of course, you get to the skydiving club, do all the training, and I did static line. And in fact, at that time, which is madness now, I think about it, they were you were still jumping round parachutes. So mm. ninety four. So if you were a, a, from a university club, they said you were poor. So they were the ram air canopies, but you you know for some reason we jumped the round. So my first, I don't know, twelve jumps or something is around you know with a reserve on your front, and yeah, I mean now it's ridiculous, you know, but. Um, so I did a few jumps, got onto free fall, whatever, and then I and then I went to South Africa as part of my university degree to work at the University of Cape Town. And when I was there, I immediately landed in Cape Town. I thought, right, find the skydiving club. And within a day, I had like a hundred friends, you know, knew where the skydiving club was, etc. And they made me do the first jump course again because they only jumped square parachutes, and they they couldn't believe that I'd come from England. I was so backward, you know. And uh, yeah, so I did the first. The, the first step, and then had to redo kind of a few of the levels and you know and then and just loved it you know and you go and do the one jump and you think okay this is not just about one jump this is there's a whole sport here the people that were there the camaraderie the the characters that are in skydiving it's <laughs> incredible you know and yeah just and the, and the other thing is, I'm very competitive. I've always been a quite a driven, competitive person, and I spotted really soon that there were teams that were training, and and I love that whole teamwork thing. And they were training for competitions. Mm. Like, okay, now you need to tell me about this. What is this competition? So, yeah, for four ways became the thing formation skydiving and. Uh, it's funny that you say that uh, people in South Africa were saying it was backwards coming from the UK because from where I sit, the fact that most of the Brits that I've had on the show got their start in some type of a, a university club. And yeah. I I knew nothing about any of that shit in the States. Nothing. So it might have been backwards that you were jumping around parachutes, but you were jumping. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. Which is really cool. So what were you going to about? If you think about the round parachute, I don't know if you've done jumped around. Oh, hell no. <laughs> Look at me <laughs> like I'm stupid. But it's 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 an incredible, like it's quiet. Like when the parachute opens, it's quiet because this thing isn't whizzing through the air or whatever. And and I was sort of, you know, remembering that a couple of days ago thinking, yeah, because now, you know, it's all open parachute, high speed, need to land quick, you know, whatever, run to the next load, etc. So it was quite different, you know, a good experience. I I would imagine. Well, I remember thinking back when I first got started, uh, um, I was jumping like a PD-210 at the time. And it was quiet in that you weren't going very fast because it was such a large canopy. But the, as a student, your slider is just doing that whack, 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 oh, yeah, which yeah, yeah. was hideously noisy. <laughs> 
And then, of course, you eventually get to a collapsible slider and you trade that noise for the wind noise. And so, yeah, yeah. my career has been very noisy. Yeah. It's like as, as a matter of fact, I had uh, Melissa Nelson gave me a great piece of advice way too many years too late, which was wear earplugs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wish. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what, well, what I wear you... earplugs all the time, and I tell people, and everyone I see often in the plane, I'm saying, "How come you haven't got earplugs in?" You know, it's, and I know I've had um hearing assessments, and and I have lost a little band of my hearing or something. Oh yeah, you know? and that's from from not from not even I guess even if I was wearing them, you know, it's. Uh, Oh, I have proper tinnitus, and and that's one hundred percent from free fall followed up by way too many years of jet engines. So yeah, yeah, yeah a little bit more permanent damage there. <laughs> no, so what were you going to school for? Um, I was studying um environmental science at the time, and then I was thought I was going to go um go into that field and become a kind of an academic. I even started doing a PhD in South Africa um, in order to, in fact, really in order to carry on skydiving in South Africa because I, the weather and everything is perfect there. Sure. Um, but yes, I kind of moved away from that. Um, and got so into, yeah, environmentalism to burning a lot of jet fuel. I know it's a bit of a conflict, isn't it? So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I like to try and do my bit and you know put the garbage in the different bins and all that stuff. Especially living in Finland where I do now, but I also burned, God knows how many years of kerosene. You know, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. tough to balance. Yeah. I think it is hard to balance, but you need to do what you can do, and it's about you know yeah. what you yeah, do. Yeah, fair enough. Kind of thing, yeah. So you got started in the sport. You're doing jumps on rounds. You end up in South Africa where it's a bit more ac uh, accessible and you're jumping more and the competition bug gets in you young. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, the funny thing was that, um, and I don't know if it's a bit of an urban legend, but obviously I had to redo the first jump course in South Africa. And that one of the instructors from that course, he, he claims that I said to him, um, I'm going to be a world champion one day. You know, now this is 94, right? So <laughs> it's quite a long time ago. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I can, I, you know, probably was the sort of person who said, I'm going to, I'm going to win stuff. You know, I'd like to win nationals or whatever. You know, that's my sort of goal. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, and this was a, I was jumping in a small, um, drop zone, but the weather was good. So you got to do quite a lot of jumps and, um, you know, I was fortunate, met some great people who are happy to, you know, if they see an enthusiastic keen person, they're happy to pull you on to skydives. And as I say, got into a team and 98 was my first nationals. Uh, I don't think we did very well, but you know, and, and there was no rookie intermediate, whatever. I just jumped straight into AAA and got on with it. I had no idea what was going on, but, um, yeah. And then, then, you know, when, in fact, 99, they had the, the, um, world championships. Um, in Australia and I, I wasn't there but they they introduced the female category and a couple of in fact my husband was competing eight-way in that year and he came back along with the, there was a girl in his eight-way team who said we need to send a female team to the you know to the next world champs you know because again it's it's a great thing that gets more people more women in the sport etc so so I did that in 2001 I was in the South African female team um, which was an incredible experience to be exposed to, you know, international competition and sure. the people you meet. And, oh, I mean, some of my awesome friends now I met, you know, then 2001, whatever. So, um, you know, likes of Gary Smith and Craig Girard, people like that, you know, you're like, oh, heroes, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then, then sort of carried on. I, I found the female thing quite hard because I was uh, very driven and probably, it wasn't, um, I probably wasn't sympathetic enough. I kind of thought, right, we're going to do this and we're going to do it as hard and fast as possible. And, uh, and I got, I had an, um, a nickname in South Africa of being the EB, which is Energizer Bunny, it's like Duracell Bunny, because I yeah, was yeah. like a bit too enthusiastic about everything. And then, <laughs> and then it changed to PB, okay, which was Pushy Bitch, which, which I didn't find an insult actually, but every time I tell the story, people go, oh my God, that's bad. And, uh, but I had, you know, I had a bit of a wake up after that thing because, you know, I was pushing hard and, you know, and, and that doesn't necessarily work in the team environment. So I got invited to join the open team with, you know, three guys who said to me, right, you can join the team, but you need to toe the line, right? We're not having any of you pushing and you forcing us and whatever we want you, you're going to fit in or, you know, or you can get lost kind of thing. 
And uh, so we went to the 2003 World Championships um, in uh, in Gap, which is such a brilliant event. But I, so I said, yeah, okay, I'm going to be one of the lads. I'll be one of the lads, you know. And I ended up taking beer wages with the Aussies, you know. So taking bets on with the Aussie team. And Jason Cook was in the in the Australian four-way team at that time. So honestly, I've never drunk so much beer in my life. I mean, I must have put on like five kilograms of weight because I was like being one of the lads and trying to relax and. But, you know, and then I kind of realized it's, it's not really me, that, that sort of thing. But, it, you know, we then carried on in, um, in the South African Open team. Um, and just, you know, you learn about team dynamics and how important it is that people get on and that you appreciate other people and that you can, you know, you need to be able to work together sure. in order to enjoy it, to do well, all that sort of stuff. So you know, I had a sort of a rude awakening, I think. Good for me. Sure. And now I'm, and now I like to think I'm a reasonable teammate because I'm a bit more sympathetic. I, I mean, it's it's not like you're you're changing who you are. You're just tempering who you are to fit in with that team. You're still you. You're just like, okay, I can't, I I don't get to be full blown me right now. I need to back it down a yeah, bit. And I mean, you can be super enthusiastic, but you don't need to. You shouldn't be pushing other people. You shouldn't be, sure. you know, getting cross with people because they they're tired or they're whatever. You know, you, you there's a better dynamic there's a better technique to say hey how about we do one more jump rather than two or you know you're encouraging rather than and and certainly you know I was in the open team I was had a brilliant time for many years in 2012 was the last world champs I jumped I jumped with the South African open team and that was you know oh and they, those guys are like my best friends. You know, we get, we still, we're booking our ski trip now for March to go to exactly those four people, you know. And so we are super mates. And then, um, and then I had a, you know, then we decided we were going to become British, you know, because three of us were then actually living in England. You know, I, I married a South African thinking I was going to be safe and live in South Africa forever because I loved it and I don't like English weather. <laughs> and then he moved to, he needed to move to England for work because I was like, oh, foiled, you know. But one of our teammates also moved at the same time. So there's three of us now living in the UK. And basically we said, yeah, we, we were competing at British Nationals every year as guest teams. And then we said, look, we've all got British passports. You know, why don't we become British? You know, so I think it was 2014. We we jumped with an incredible girl, another girl, um, Liz Matthews. Um, we'd, we'd been training with Gary Smith as our fourth member of the team. So he was a player coach. And then we slotted Liz in. We did one training camp with her, and then we met, we won British Nationals, which was just incredible, you know, as a as a British team. So that was pretty cool. Um, but I think I had to go. I had a little blip out because I had to go for surgery on my ankle that I'd damaged many years ago, and and then I was at the first indoor World Championships in 2013, and there was people chatting saying, "Hey, the." there's a British girls team that need someone to join them. Do you want to join? And I said, there's no, I've always said, I'll never jump in a girls team again. There's no way, no way. I'm not jumping with girls, not going to do this thing, whatever, you know. They're going, yeah, but it's it's kind of fully sponsored and the girls are pretty hardcore that are in the team and you should meet them and whatever, anyway. And I met there and I just thought, actually, I, I don't, you know, this is an opportunity. I'll just do it for a year. Let me see how that goes, you know. Anyway, that was 2015. I'm still in the same <laughs> with you know the girls are just incredible you know Anna Hicks uh, Anna Lee now is um you know the, these are not girly girls they you know she's a, a military doctor you know she's hardcore and just driven and focused and the same outlook and the same view and you know I yeah so it's been really cool so you found so, your tri- you found your tribe <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I didn't think I wanted to be part of that scene, and it it's just been it's been an incredible journey. You know, we've changed team, changed lineup over the course of those years, but you know, and we have the the most amazing. You know, Sean Stokes joined the team, and she's just absolutely brilliant, incredible flyer, amazing individual, and uh, you know, the lineup we, that we won that was, you know. The, the gold, sorry, the silver medal and the gold medals with 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 Cass um, Curtis as well, and they're just incredible individuals, you know. Mm. And that's when you realise, and my um, you you realise how important team dynamics are and that kind of trust and respect and you know all of that. So oh, yeah. um, 
you know, now, the journey's been amazing. How did uh, how did the family take this transition from environmental stuff into I'm going to go jump out of airplanes? Well, I was jumping already, you know. So they, yeah, it, it's all about finding what you what you want to do. I mean, I didn't finish my PhD because I then I got married and moved up to Johannesburg and was basically then involved in um, running the Johannesburg Skydiving Club. So it was a full time. We we owned the Pilates Porter, mm. my husband and I, and um and his you know his partners or whatever, and we, you know, I was just task with making sure this plane can fly and and I had this huge passion to sort of grow formation skydiving in South Africa and and make it like a force to be reckoned I wanted every world championships that there was maximum you know formation skydiving teams there and in order to do that you have to bring people up you know and I mean I've got some brilliant friends who I did a rookie team with them and there's and you know sort of it was trying to juggle on the edge of everything else that I was doing. And I, you know, I was already in the national team at that point, but I thought, okay, I'll do this rookie team, you know? And the three people that were in this thing, the first nationals we went to, I got, we got a one average. So we managed to score one point average, (laughs) (laughs) six rounds or whatever. But you know, the following year we then won with the record and the next year we went into intermediates and won. And, you know, and those guys are now, almost full-time in skydiving you know the um carl mayer works in the u.s now for um for vigil and uh the two girls who are in the team are um ff i think in examiners or something in south africa you know they've done so well you know sure. and 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 amy was actually my teammate for quite a few years so you know in the open team so you know you you that was Super fun, yeah. Sure. Now, when you transitioned back to the UK, was it a, a, a hard adjustment? Because, I mean, you went back to pretty sketchy weather for jumping. And did you guys transition into a lot of indoor training and stuff? We did quite a bit. Yeah. And I mean, we I have never really trained in the UK in any of, <laughs> in any of the teams because the weather is just so bad. You know, right. we tried it during COVID, actually, that year. Um, you know, we were at the Skydiving Club a lot and it just was ridiculous. The week we were training, the weather was horrendous, you know, and I just, that's heartbreaking, you know, sitting on the ground, drinking tea, looking at clouds and oh man. So no, we, 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 we do a lot of tunnels and then we train in, like last year we did a couple of camps in Dubai and then Imperial Bar, but we probably did, I don't know, 10 camps there or something, you know, it was, uh, yeah. Well, that's where I know uh, we talked before the podcast that uh, our paths certainly crossed in Dubai because I just left there last year and I was there for 10 years previous. Wow. Uh, so would you have competed in uh, the World Air Games out there? We did. the Yeah, we did 2012. And, and I think that was that the world. Yeah, that was with them. Um, I was still South African at that time. Mm. Um, and then since then, I've just been back doing training camps you know, out in the desert or whatever. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's the kind of the perfect operation just because of the weather and, and accessibility to aircraft. And they, I got to say, they always did a really good job of when teams would come out to really try and accommodate teams and training and such. And so pretty great place to go out and train. Oh, it's brilliant. And like air conditioned hangars and packing area is going to be, it's going to be the ultimate, hasn't it? You know? Well, I mean, the, the world air games was the, um, the first time I ever saw that kind of pomp and circumstance for a skydiving event. Yeah. I'm sure if you were there for the opening uh, ceremonies yeah. for WAG, you're you're sitting in the bleachers going, "This can't be for fucking skydiving." I know, I know. You would have thought it was the World Cup. Katy Perry at the uh, yes, at the final. You know, this closing ceremony. You're going, "This is madness." You know, right? Yeah, and because because you know the World Champs before that was in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been to some slightly dodgy places that you you know and then that event was just incredible well that's the thing i i mean i still have a, a um a very warm place in my heart for all those dodgy places and dodgy events because yeah, yeah, yeah. they're just so much fun and i mean you you kind of have to fight to to um to not have a good time at a place that's just cobbling shit together and everybody's trying to make it better and then you go to some place like Dubai where you're literally waiters and waitresses asking if you'd like another yeah. drink and you And ice statues with the food, with the with the buffet lunch. <laughs> I mean, we've always called, you know, the lunch that you get at the during a world camp, we've always called it slop, you know. Yeah. And and you were asked in Dubai they had ice 
<laughs> I sculptures and sliced roast beef and chicken and pastas and oh yeah no I know it was just the <laughs> the most bizarre wonderful thing ever and then of course all the competitors tents all ringed around the landing area yeah, yeah. it's pretty spectacular it That's was when... it, it was spectacular I mean yeah. it was crazy we went to in two thousand and four. And the the venue and everything was great, you know, but they had massive storms before the, the competition started that all the competitors' tents were washed away. And so they, I mean, they literally, everything was broken and there was just, the, the land area was, you know, whatever, bogged. And I mean, it was just horrendous. And we sort of ended up, you know, like, like refugees in the main sort of hangar with these tiny little areas rather than beautiful delegation tents or whatever. And in fact, for us, the the round one was the first jump we'd done out of the MIA because the, the you know, there was no training because the weather was so bad before before the competition started. So. That's pretty wild, too. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, between uh, initially competing for South Africa and then uh, forming the British team, you yeah. pushed through a whole lot. And I mean, especially again, congratulations on last year. That's thank you an incredible thank accomplishment you. that you've been working towards your entire career. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and yeah, it was tough. Last year was a particularly hard year. We. Uh, you know, we tried for years to get good sponsors and to get the number of jumps in. And, you know, in fact, we were host, we, our goal had been that 2020 would be the year that we sort of really pushed to try and get that, that gold mm. medal. And, um, because the French had re, rejig their team and the Americans and whatever, you know. So, I mean, the French team in 2018 were just unbeatable. I mean, yeah, they yeah. were, uh, they were just incredible. So, so we came, we got the silver medal that year, but we knew there was no way you'd get closer than that. And so, you know, and then of course COVID hits and it's all absolute chaos and we couldn't jump and, you know, we had lineup changes and lack of sponsorship, et cetera. So then 2022, we managed to persuade Cass, who'd been jumping with us in 2018, to come back into the team. And, you know, we said, right, what is it we need to do? You know, what if we're going to win, um, what do we need to do? Or, or win or do as well as we can. And we said, well, it's 500 jumps and it's this much money and it's this much, you know, 40 hours in the tunnel. And so how do we make that happen? We had no sponsorship. You know, British Guard, I mean, because of... Um, COVID had had stopped all funding and they used to help um, fund teams or whatever. And um, in fact, Anna and myself made a decision um, to to fund the team, you know. So and I, I just figured, you know, I've been trying to do this thing for so long. So I, in fact, sold a house to pay for my, for, you know, for my half of this, the, the team. And, um, you know, and then Anna, you know, did, did kind of similar crazy stuff like that because we just knew we didn't have time you know with our own lives and jobs and families and else we didn't have time to be searching for more sponsorship you know so we just had to focus and as I say we did 10 or 11 training camps you know over the course wow. of the of the year and uh, just needed to throw everything at it and focus and you know the not only that but you're doing obviously you know I'm as I said I was 49 years old you know I need to be strong and as fit as the 25 year olds that I'm competing against sure. so, which means that even when you're at home you're training exercising an hour and a half a day you spend time visualizing you're using sports psychologists we we just literally everything we could every little thing you know when you're making that decision about what you're going to eat and then um, you know you're thinking well I don't think that extra cake or the glass of wine is going to help me become a world champion so I'll say no to it, right you know? Well, and on top of that, I mean, you're going up against teams like the 2018 French team, the French yeah. notorious for supporting their athletes yeah. Yeah. in such an incredible way. So that's got to be even harder, too. When you're selling your house to compete and the yeah. French have a free ride. It just, I mean, you got to just want to go up and slap somebody. <laughs> I think, but you kind of know that that's where you're at, you know, and it was like, you know, and the American, because we, we knew like the French and American teams are strong. I mean, they've beaten us before, you know, sure. both teams are super strong and they get a lot of support, you know, and they, quite a lot of them, you know, work in skydiving or they have funding, as you say, from the Federation or whatever. But, you, you know, we're never going to get that in the UK. Um, and so 
so and I'm you know British or South African but British you know this is the only way you're going to make this happen and is it worth it you know and you a little bit of soul searching and you say it is Sure. You know, and it and it and it was so I literally did that and I mean I'm so lucky I have the most incredibly supportive husband and family and you know everyone is kind of understanding of where you're at but but the the classic thing is obviously that you that you put yourself in that financial position and I mean now I'm 50 years old and I'm skint you know and I mean <laughs> most of the world champions I hear you've spoken to you know they they got to become world champions at 25 and they had no money at that point but then they can go on and work later. I mean, I'm right. 50 years old, right? <laughs> I'm sitting here going, you know, I really want to compete at the, you know, indoor nationals. I better sell something to pay for my tunnel time. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a crazy position. It's really hard to explain our drive in this sport to anyone outside the sport, isn't it? Yes. I yes. mean, and, and I think, you know, it's that classic thing of when people ask you and they say, so when you win this, is, the, is there money? reward you know do you do you get money do you get and you you say no 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 but i get a fake gold medal (laughs) 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 well what are you going to do with that yeah it's Um, very hard to explain i mean i've I've had like canopy pilots like nick nick batch on and and uh of course it's life and limb and everything that he put and all you guys put into it and broken bones and tears and all this stuff and what do you get out of it Oh, I had a, uh, I got to stand up on top of the podium to get this medal and we yeah. had a really nice party. Yeah. You get to hear, I mean, that's my thing is hearing the national anthem, you know, and you, in, uh, in 2019, actually, we won the indoor world cup and the first time of hearing the national anthem was a big thing. Yeah. But last year it was, you know, outdoor world champs is the ultimate, you know, and, to to be standing on there and it was the first time I think most people had heard the um, national anthem of God Save the King as opposed to the Queen, you know, but it was uh, oh that for that you 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 cannot even bottle that experience. That sure. you know, that it's the ultimate, you know. So. Well, but it was quite a battle to not just get there, but even through it. I mean, you guys had to do a lot to get there and, and make that dream happen for yourselves. Yeah. I mean we as well as deciding we were going to start on this training program and you know and we were going to do whatever we could to make to make this thing happen you know and you have to be quite um bullish I guess it is you know to to what you know to really want this but we absolute disaster hit for us um I'm going to say mid-August um, the, the British skydiving basically suspended one of our teammates from jumping through through an alle- through an allegation that had been put in that that subsequently is proven to be a horrific mistake on their behalf and and completely unfounded. But you know she was suspended, and uh, we'd already done over 400 jumps together or whatever. So we and we were then not allowed to compete at the. UK nationals that year and we're the reigning national champions you know and we want to go back in it was you know, to do the British nationals end of August and we're going to the world champs in October it's a great stepping stone etc but yeah so we were not allowed to compete I mean at that point you know we were a team we've done so much together we've sold houses we've given up I mean I have children I've not you know deserted them I've done you know all these kind of things you know people are sacrificing work they've got no leave left everything else in order to do this and then this thing happens and uh, I mean they did say oh well you can just get an alternate you know someone else can jump with you and you're saying there is I mean she's the strongest member of our team and the fact is we are a team there's no way we've done the over foreign jump scare it's not going to happen so I mean it meant that we ended up spending even more money going instead of competing in nationals going and tra- just we just carried on training with this belief that this thing was going to sort itself out and it was such a ridiculously stupid mistake but you know on on British skydiving's part um but then um basically we we they were no one was listening you know and, and it's the nature i think of these sort of membership organizations where you've got volunteers on councils and making decisions that when you realize you've made a mistake no one's prepared to to back down it's kind of like you sort of perpetuate this thing to the point that we ended up having to well the the, the team member had to get lawyers involved you know in order to make them sit up and listen and we ended up contacting aero club and the fai to intervene in this process saying this is ridiculous 
And then, I mean, the bottom line is, in and this fight was just huge. And, it, you know, you take the focus away from the skydiving. And, I mean, we had, I mean, we're still, I still suffer from panic attacks and sleepless nights. Worrying, and this is a year later, right? But at that point, you know, I mean, you suddenly, you've been training, you're fit, you're worrying about what you're eating and everything else. And now you're fighting something else, you know? Um, basically, we, she was unsuspended. I think it was six days before we flew to Eloy. Holy shit. Six days before we suddenly went, Oh my God, we're actually going. You know, we're going to go to, we're going to Arizona. We're going, we can compete. And we were saying to them, you know, this is a chance to get a world, a world championship. You know, we could win this. The last time you won it was 2008. You know, we've had no gold medal since then for Britain. But, um, you know, we so a week before, and of course, all the stuff that I talk to teams about when I coach and stuff is visualizing and preparing. You know, six days before, we suddenly went, oh my God, we need to now visualize going to a meet. But what is it going to feel like when the French team walk in, when the Americans walk in, when we're focused? And we hadn't thought about any of that. You know? We're like, shoving stuff into bags, you know, sure. running out the door. And then, but I think, and it, it's been really hard. And what's been really hard since then is the fact that we still are not recognised. British Academy is still not recognising us. They refused to put um, um, media, you know, coverage out for us when we got back. We still are not being, you, you know, still are not recognised. Almost being cancelled as a team, which is, oh, it's just heartbreaking because you realise you want that gold medal, but you also kind of need recognition. You know, that's part yeah. of the process. And because it's British Academy that said stuff, there's a lot of members that think there's no smoke without fire so then they must be it must be true sure you know um but you know so we're still suffering a bit with the sort of mental health and whatever a year later you know but the truth is we got to we got to arizona and when you're there the international community supports you you know nobody they was everybody was so pleased that we were there and that and so supportive and and actually, when this fight started, I think our team got stronger because we decided we were not going without this. We were going as this unit or not at all, you know, sure. and, and we were prepared to sacrifice all the stuff that we had done in order to, to make it. But the and, and in some ways, maybe that meant that we, we were stronger. I mean, there was no infighting within the team. You know, sure. we as soon as this thing came up, we were together, you know, our backs were against each other. And we were fight. We were fighting. And, uh, you know, that, which perhaps may be the reason we won. I, you know, I'd like to think the 550 skydives and, and the focus would have done sure. it anyway. Well, so. if anything, uh, it must have made standing on the podium just that much more amazing. Yeah. I it think had so. to. You know, yeah. I mean, even if it wasn't part of the motivation, which there had to be a little bit of motivation into fuck yeah. this, we've gone through all of this and now we're here, yeah. we're going to do our absolute best, yeah. but it had we're to We're going to show everyone, you know, yeah. that was the point, yeah. And, I mean, we there were a lot of tears, is all I can tell you. We oh, cried man. a lot at the end of last year. We cried, we cried a lot, even in training and even on, you know, one of the rounds we, we took block two out of the door, which is one of our toughest exits, particularly for um, outside centre. And, uh, you know, and I could sit, sit in the plane. I was thinking the fight that we've been through, this is nothing, you know, <laughs> and I kind of looked across the, you know, my teammate and said, you've got this, you know, you, we can do this. I trust you. You know, I had no doubt in my mind that I trusted every single one of my, my team members because we've been through much of our shit. What's this little scattery competition thing that's going on, you know? And we, you know, we ate, that jump was probably one of our better jumps. We did a, the most incredible exit, you know, jump was really good or whatever. And when we landed, you know, the outside center was in tears because, you know, you just, the relief that you actually pulled this off and yeah, a lot of tears, I must be honest, but. Well, I mean, skydiving can draw so many emotions out regardless, even if it's just a run of the mill jump. But when you put yourself in that position with the kind of drive that you had to have to get there and dedication and selling houses for fuck's sake to get there, I'd be in tears too. I'd have been in tears if I had screwed the entire jump. I'd still, oh my God, I can't believe we're here. So I can imagine how amazing it must have been. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know we we did deserve to win, 
There's no question. And our fight was so much harder than the other teams, you know, and I, I can say that hand on heart. And I respect everything that the other girls have done and how hard everyone works and the focus everyone else. There's no danger. Anyone was fighting harder than we were last yeah. year. You know? Well, that's the fun thing about the international community too, right? Is really they are incredibly supportive and want yeah. that competition. Um, we Again, we talked pre-podcast about uh, um, the episode that I did with Craig Girard, and he was actively training the Russian team at the time. Um, and as an American, it, I couldn't pass up such a fun subject of going, are you getting <laughs> shit from Americans that you're training the Russians? And he's like, yeah, a little bit. But at the end of the day, everybody just wants a good competition. You know, that's so he's like, yeah. I'm just giving I'm making sure that the the field is equal and everybody's playing with the same toys, so to speak. And and it's going to be who's the best team. Um, and it was fun to hear that, especially as such a high profile American like Craig training the Russian team, you know, yeah. this this constant feud for, you know, our entire lifetimes. And so but the whole community is just we just want a good competition. So it's yeah. unfortunate. And I think. Yeah, I think that is actually the case. I mean, the French, you know, girls came up to us and said, thank goodness you're here, you know, because... Yes. You, and, I, and I believe, you know, we didn't compete at the UK Nationals and the team that we've kind of been fighting with for, you know, a couple of years, for several years, they obviously won because they had no competition. Sure. And, you know, for them, it's they, of course, they're national champions and great, but I think for them, it would have been better to have beaten us. Yes. We be there, you know, they, yeah, because they no forever... Well, forever in in the public's mind and maybe even to some degree in their minds, there's always going to be an asterisk next to that national champion because the reigning champions on bullshit weren't able to compete. So there's yeah. always that. Yeah, we won, but which sucks for them, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm they hugely talented and incredible team. So, you know, I I wouldn't I'm pleased for them that they they did well, etc. Sure. But I would have liked to have been competing. <laughs> of course, of course. But now, yeah, we again, had so much support internationally, which was incredible. You know, which is fantastic. Now we talked again uh, pre-podcast. Uh, uh, I had to try and nail you down on a busy schedule because you've got a whole lot of things going on, including doing keynote stuff. So tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so I, I'm obviously very passionate about skydiving <laughs> and about yeah. the sport and 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 about the the journey and what it takes to get you know to get there. So I, I you know don't do a couple of presentations for people and me and um for different groups of people or and they're saying, man, th this is really interesting. You know, why don't you think about doing more keynote speaking? Um, you know, for corporates, for sports teams, for schools, and that sort of stuff. And I love it. You know, I, the material that, well, the information, the knowledge. I mean, I've spent so many years competing, and that stuff is relevant to business. You know, to you know, sports teams, whatever. And it's um you know so I I mean I tell my tell our story which I I think is an interesting story and most people don't understand skydiving at all so the sure. fact that you've got some woman coming to talk about skydiving is interesting um but you know I cover kind of team team dynamics team goals and you know setting goals and um and you know just things like just take chances take risks you know don't be don't fear failure that's kind of my signature thing is you you don't fear failure don't fear making mistakes because it will stop you doing the stuff you want to do mm. and when you're nervous when you have that fear of making a mistake you will make it you know whereas if you and maybe the mistake is not actually trying to do something you want to do you know you've got to put yourself out of your comfort zone and just push and it can happen uh, you know the most incredible things happen because you take chances sure. and it's funny so, with so the it's funny with the general public how um, a story that uh, um, from any other sport or any other perspective would be kind of cool information. And, yeah, that's that's a good tip. But when it comes from a skydiver, someone that literally yeah. puts their lives on the line to achieve a goal, everybody's yeah. like, holy shit, and really yeah. sits up to take, you know, to take note. And it's the same crap that Tony Robbins has been saying forever, yeah, but it's yeah, much yeah. cooler because we're yeah. jumping out of airplanes to learn it. Well, that's what I think. I mean, the classic thing is whenever I give a keynote speech to people I don't know, the first, when you say, you know, you finish the chat, any, you know, there are any questions, 
the first question, what do you think it is? Have you had a malfunction? Of course. You know, like, have there been any close, close calls? Close calls. Whatever. It's the first question. I know it. I just said it waiting for it to come. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. Because I'm not talking about, I, I don't believe I'm going to die on every skydive. I mean, I've got kids. You know, my son is now a skydiver, you know. And I, like, I don't, it's, it's not, I don't have that fear. You know, the adrenaline and the nerves for me is round one at a world championship. So yeah. I don't think it's a death-defying sport. I've never, ha- I, I mean, I don't base jump. I, ha- I have a risk analysis thing that says I'm not doing that. But yeah. um, because of the kids, et cetera. But, you know, the, the point is I, I don't feel that, but that people love that part of, of it. Of course. And of course it is a high adrenaline. I mean, and I, you know, I, yeah, of course it's a, it is a, it's well, adrenaline, but. You always get that question, have you had any close calls? And my response is always to think, well, by whose standard? Because <laughs> by a skydiver's standard, no, I've never had a, a what I would consider a really close call. But by the Wuffo walking down the street, yeah. I've almost died like a thousand times. Yeah. You know, So it's all in perspective. It's uh, it, it's kind of in how you can process all that. And, of course, for a skydiver, it, uh, just another run-of-the-mill malfunction? Yeah. Oh. I, you know, I mean, I, I tell the story of the last malfunction that I had was a tandem malfunction and I was laughing. I was actually having fun. I'm like, oh, no, I got this because the person in front of me was kind of losing their shit. I'm trying to keep them calm and I'm giggling as I'm cutting away. (laughs) But you can't explain that to someone that doesn't jump, thinks you're psychotic. They think you should be medicated. Yeah. Which is, which is kind of cool. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it is cool. And I mean, it's funny because I have such a dichotomy, you know, my life with you know, kids and you're walking down the, you know, the, the the school, you know, in the schoolyard, you know, to drop the kids off or whatever. And you're chatting to the other mum, parents or whatever. And no one else got us, you know. Right. So, so even though I'm the most annoying mother ever, you know, in at the house, you're at home, your kids always think you're annoying and stupid and whatever. Sure. I'm a cool, you know. So they, they at school they say, yeah, well, my mum's a skydiver. You know? I was gonna <laughs> say, do the kids brag about the fact that uh, you do what you do? They do, and you know, at times you've been looking at perhaps giving up. Well, I've never been looking at giving up, but you know, and I said, oh, I don't know what's going to happen with the team now, whatever. And like my daughter, who it's a pain in the butt because I'm always away skydiving, whatever. And she, she said, yeah, but you can't stop. Because then you won't be cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you get to be PB around the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> take care yeah. of business there. So, you said your son jumps as well. How? Wh- what did you think about that when he started? Were you? I loved it. You know, he. I mean, I skydived when I was pregnant with both of them. And okay. He came to the. He came to Croatia World Championships with me. I was uh, twenty weeks or something during the competition. So he he is a uh, and he just has been on drop zones the you know the whole time and then he. Sure summer holiday or whatever these four kids you know the whole family gets dragged up to Texel in you know Netherlands to jump or we get you know for a training camp or in Peru Brava or wherever it is you know they, they, they're they on it and, but he is so passionate and as soon as he turned 16 that's what he was going to do and he's nice um you know started jumping and I had no I had no I mean his formation skydiving skill is really good because he's done a lot of tunnel flying with with, uh, with me or um you know friends or whatever and so my only worry was about the landing and and his his parachute control and landings have been incredible. I mean, he's only got like 100 jumps or something now, uh, but he's currently working. He's in his gap year between school and university, and he's uh, currently in the Maldives working in the skydiving club for five months, which I think is really good. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty rough. That's pretty rough. <laughs> I... You know. I had had my daughter has come out and made a couple of uh, jumps, but never really had the drive to be a skydiver, which for me was a bit of a sigh of relief only as a dad yeah. having a daughter yeah. going into skydiving. Um, you got a whole different set of worries that go along yeah, with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I never worried about the the whole safety and all that kind of stuff. But the cool thing for me, probably a bit like you was uh, she wrote her college entrance essay was entitled uh, Amazing Life Lessons I Learned from People That Jump Out of Airplanes. Which, of course, made my ego just swell huge because I always worried that I was this degenerate dad that, you know, was jumping out of airplanes all the time. And was I giving her the wrong lessons? And here she is using those lessons to get herself into college to become an attorney. So I'm like, okay, I will. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. So very cool stuff. What about uh, your daughter? Do you think she's going to jump? 
I don't think so. I mean, she's incredibly sporty. She she can she's a sports scholar at school and stuff. So she and she plays well netball is the main sort of sport that she does. Um, but um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I the, she's a. <laughs> I'm a bit concerned about him. My son is quite sensible. I mean, he won't like me saying this, but he is a, you know, he he's sort of measured and he's diligent. And so when he started driving a car, he's kind of aware of what's going on and I'm not worried about it. My daughter will get into a car. She just puts her foot down and we are going out of that gate. It doesn't matter if it's open or closed, you know, and you're like, so I don't know about skydiving and her and I'm not sure. <laughs> She's in a tandem and she... Uh, and she was so aware during the during the tandem jump, you know. And this is, I think, she was at twelve or something. And she, you know, she hopped out of the plane and she's got the thumbs up or whatever. And then, it's, you know, we start tracking off. She's waving at us, so she's completely aware of what's going on, making heart signs for the camera. You know, right? It's so funny how much it's changed just in the one generation that we've been in the sport. Because I mean, I started skydiving in '96. You before me, and and. Yes. Uh, Back then, it was uh, your family was like, "What the? Why? What are yeah. you doing? This is dangerous. Why? How can you possibly think that this is a path?" And now it's a, uh, "Oh no, Annie skydives too," and it's almost as a a, a second yeah. thought, you know. It's it's yeah. so it, it doesn't carry the weight that it did when we started back then, which yeah. is kind of cool, I guess. I mean, my um, parents were interesting because I I'm not sure I told them I was going to skydive before I did, but they my, my dad um, was a competitive. Um, sailor so he used to sail he was an olympic sailing team for a short while and uh and he was so inspirational you know that kind of level of competitiveness and drive and what you had to do or whatever so i you know it was so cool and when i started skydiving he 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 i think you know he said i think you found your sport you know nice. and that's and that's really cool and i in fact had a, a very bad uh, landing accident in um in 95 so only a year after i started jumping but i had nearly 200 jumps and I was on a show jump I shouldn't have been on and did stupid things and broke mm. my ankle. And the, you know, it, the, the surgeon at the time was saying he may have to amputate my foot and all this kind of, you know, scare oh. stuff, which he didn't, you know, rebuilt the, the ankle and whatever. And, and I remember chatting to my dad after that and he said, and he said, well, it's all about quality of, it's all about quality of life, isn't it? And I, my heart sunk because I thought, oh man, he means that I, if I break my ankle again, I have no quality of life. And in fact, what he meant was, if you don't do the things you love, you have no quality of life, you know, cool. and, uh, you know, and, and that's true. And I pushed on through a lot of, you know, I've had a lot of pain and, you know, had several surgeries over the years, but it's made me more driven sure. and more passionate. And I don't, you know, I would not have a, my life would not be, quality without without skydiving absolutely and i completely agree although i do wonder what uh, our old hope old folks homes are going to be like because <laughs> oh man i mean all all you do especially is because i'm 54 at, at my age as well all the buddies that i grew up with uh the guys and girls that i've been jumping with for years all we talk about is the shit that hurts yeah yeah <laughs> this amazing jumper that it, yeah it's just oh yeah it's just constant yeah this hurts that hurts i had surgery on this i'm planning that it's just, yeah. oh, we definitely we went for it yeah and uh, you know and uh, because of the injury that i had i mean i am fitter and stronger now than i mean certainly than any of other of my mum friends or whatever you know and, I've, and i know some cool people you know who compete and i'm a sports therapist so i you know, I see a lot of kind of athletes who, you know, age groupers, are, you know, good in good shape. But you know, you're more driven. You make sure that you're that you're fitter and stronger. And I'll do that extra hour in the gym, and I'll, you know, make sure that I'm, you know, physically there because I know what it's like to be in pain. Yeah. To walk, and then, you know, and I can't, I, I can't run now because I've had it, my ankles being fused. So, and I, I, you know, for a while I was competing in triathlon. So, you know, it's disappointing that you can't do those things. But sure. I don't know. Yeah, but I, it is the joke that it's anti-inflammatory for breakfast, isn't it? You know. Oh yeah, we well, I used to call it vitamin <laughs> I, vitamin ibuprofen. Yeah, yeah, it's just you live off of that stuff, and it's 
for for as much as shit hurts when I get out of bed, if I don't stay super active and train, it hurts that much more. So yeah. um, all the people that I know that have had substantial injuries in the sport train as hard as they do because they know it's so much worse if they don't. Yeah. You have to keep you it going. Stop, you know, you don't. What is your motivation to stay fit and strong or whatever? If you do, you know, if you do stop, you know what 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 keeps you, you know. What keeps that drive, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But as you say, the old age homes could be pretty messy. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really weird. Really weird. So um, as we wrap things up, how do people, if they want to come train with you, they want to chit-chat about your experiences, they want to know more about what's going on, how do they find you on social media? What drop zones are you going to be at? Do you have any events coming up? I am um, on Facebook, Banner Parker, and then um, Instagram and things. I do, I'm doing quite a bit more coaching now, sort of four-way coaching and things. So, um, and try and, try and do some fun stuff as well. You know, we'll be, I'm hoping going to be back training fairly hard with the team again. But uh, yeah, nice. so I'm, I'm kind of around and, and, and very open to helping as many people as I can and just being able to fly. As oh, that's, you know, that's fantastic. Good. It's wonderful to see somebody that's been at it for so long and pushed so hard to still have just <laughs> as much passion now as yeah. you did back then, especially starting out on round parachutes and breaking stuff. <laughs> yeah, but it is. And that's the point, isn't it? Where, you know, it's, it's a thing of when do you stop? You know, and that, that's probably more my problem. Is I, I can't. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, but nowadays, I mean, you can keep going in skydiving for a long, long time. So there's not really any reason for you to stop if you still have the drive. No, I mean, this year's been funny because I turned 50, as I said, and we've kind of hidden our ages for a long time. But now um, I thought, uh, you know, what, I need to embrace this. So I've been trying to jump. I've been trying to jump at 50 different aircraft. So it's just tail numbers. Sure. And I'm on 43. And where are we now? End of November. So I, I've, you know, I've got seven and the weather is shockingly bad in the UK at the moment. So I'm thinking of a trip to Florida in the next couple of weeks to try and knock off the rest of those. Places. Oh, you'd easily do that in Florida. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Piece of cake. Well, I'll tell you what, I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of the incredibly busy schedule to sit and talk to me. It was absolutely fantastic catching up and there will be a round two especially as you continue to compete i want to hear all about it oh that's awesome it's been so nice yeah thank you so much you have a great one take care bye well there you have it another episode of the lunatic fringe podcast brought to you as always by well wait not as always actually brought to you now by gyro Formerly known as NZ Aerosports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. Buy Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. Buy Summit Parachute Systems. Check out summitparachutesystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs, rigging courses, and more. Buy Flyaway Indoor Skydiving. Go to flyawaytn.com and check out all the cutting-edge stuff to come. Buy Pure Spectrum CBD. Head to PureSpectrumCBD.com to check out their wide range of CBD products. And as for us, head to the LunaticFringePodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available. Hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.